The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome back. It is the NFC East Mixtape presented to you in partnership, of course, with Blogging the Boys, Bleeding Green Nation, SB Nation's home for Dallas Cowboys and Philadelphia Eagles content. I am RJ Ochoa from BTB. He is Brandon Lee Gotten from BGN, and he is BLG King of Rock, Paper, Scissors. BLG, what up? I'm doing good, RJ. We have a fancy new logo that's really cool that people should check out if you haven't seen it already. Um, I guess that's in your podcast feed, or it will be when you're looking at this, or somewhere at some point. Um, it is. So, yeah, I'm excited. <laughs> uh, yeah, very exciting times. Uh, people are saying, BLG, that the NSC's mixtape is the uh, most ambitious crossover ever attempted uh, in the history of like media at any level. Like, I'm talking movies and cinema and all sorts mm-hmm. of stuff. Um, I mean, like, nobody else really has a logo that marries their two brands or entities like this, but we did. So, shout out to uh, to Lindsay the Goat. She, uh, she designed something nice and wonderful for us but uh, i want to get right to it i mentioned rock paper scissors champion uh this episode's going out on wednesday but on tuesday blg you were at philadelphia eagles otas and you did something uh you teased this actually on the SB nation nfl show which everybody should go listen to you can hear blg and i there uh throughout the week normally subscribe to that feed as well uh leave a rating write review subscribe to btb and bgn also and leave ratings write reviews those are appreciated everywhere uh but you talked about how Eagles head coach Nick Sirianni, he greeted all of the members of the media with a fist bump. And you realized you had, I don't want, I don't want to tell the story. You go ahead. You had a golden opportunity that you totally took advantage of on Tuesday. Well, yeah, originally, so the, this dates back to Eagles rookie minicamp, which was a couple of weeks ago. Right. And Nick Sirianni comes out, uh, walks along the sideline where all the media, media reporters are, and, you know, gives a fist bump to everyone. It's the first time we met him in person. So, you know, nice thing to do, a good move, savvy move by the head coach. He doesn't have to do that. But, <laughs> Uh, after the fact, as Bear chimes in there, um, after the fact, uh, I, I was kicking myself so much. I choked, RJ. I choked like the Cowboys do every single year, and I totally just dropped the ball, and I threw out a rock as well you know, to dab him up instead of throwing paper. Now, I said if I got another opportunity to do that, I would try to redeem myself. And that is exactly what I was able to do today on May 25th as the Eagles had an OTA practice, and Nick Sirianni came out to practice, and I was like the first person in line of where these media members were standing. So he walks over to me and, you know, he's throwing the fist and then I have my hand out. Like I kind of just throw the paper right away. So then he, I thought he, 
I think that he thought that I was get, trying to give him a handshake because then he kind of like opened his hand with a handshake. But then he was like, what are you doing? Like he he was totally, I think, terrified and or thought I was like insulting him or something. Um, really just confused. So really an awkward moment uh, when you see it on video, which uh, shout out to John Clark for getting video of all of that. Uh, but look, I beat the Philadelphia Eagles head coach in rock, paper, scissors. And therefore, I think I am now the Philadelphia Eagles head coach. Well, so um, you're certainly eligible to be drafted by the Eagles, as we all know. Uh, that's a, a heavy, you know, sort of uh, necessary component to being draft eligible by Nick Sirianni. Um, watching the video, and again, you tweeted it out, so go check out BLG's Twitter feed. Uh, shout out to John Clark, obviously, for getting the video. But it looked like there was like a conversation. Like, it looked like you had to like explain it to him. Like mm-hmm. he was obviously kind of thrown off by it. And I think what added to the amazement of the moment is you were first. So it wasn't like he had like bump, bump, bump. Yes. And then he gets to you. Uh, was like, give us the whole one-on-one on how this went down. Well, look though, that's part of being a head coach, RJ. You have to adjust. Things are going to happen unexpected. And like, Sierrani didn't adjust there. So that's a red flag for him. Um, but yeah, certainly he, he saw me, he was confused. He kind of was like, he was like, what are you doing or something? Or he was, he just totally was perplexed, had a little conversation. He, he came up to me at first. He was like, I didn't get your name last time. Like, who are you? Oh, so also I, a savvy move. So very savvy move. Also, I think he might remember me from now on, but that's part of the, that was part of the whole thing too. Like, come on, like, you gotta remember me, Nick Sirianni. I'm the guy who beat you in rock, paper, scissors. So BLG, what if next time, you know, he's, cause it seems like this is like his thing now, like fist bumps to start the day. He rolls up to you and he throws scissors. Like what? Yeah. that's, that's the evolution of this friendship now. So that's like the next level move. And I'm in a bad spot here because I could either just assume everything's going to go normally next time and throw out the rock, like just be totally normal with it. Be like, you know, no tricks this time, coach, just straight up. And then he could go paper on me and try to pull one over on me. Or, uh, yeah, he could try to throw scissors because he's thinking I'm going to go paper again. But I think it's a little too aggressive to do it again. So I think I think he might think that, too. But I don't know. So we have this whole game going on now. Mm. Um, probably more important than anything else going on with the Eagles is the the game between Nick Sirianni and me when it comes to rock, paper, scissors. Right on. Uh, well, that was very cool. I certainly encourage everyone to watch the video. Uh, it was amazing. This was a waste of everyone's time. No, thank no, you for listening. <laughs> no, it wasn't. Uh, so we're going to build an all-NFC East offense today uh, in the spirit of OTA's beginning. Uh, we'll, we'll do 11 personnel which is very un-Philadelphia Eagles-like, BLG. Uh, Obviously, I'm sorry about that. Um, And so I'll give you the choice, since you are the champion of the day. Uh, Do you want to talk the Jalen Smith story before or after we go through the whole roster? Um, I guess we should mention it right now, because how ridiculous is it? Or how is it so weird to see Tony Romo's number, number nine, now being worn by Jalen Smith and also Micah Parsons 11, right? So it's it's 911. The jokes are out there, yeah. For yeah. sure. Mm-hmm. Um, How are you feeling about it? So I really do not care at all about the Romo factor of it in the like, mm. um, like the classic Harry Potter, uh, Professor Snape, you know, gif, like, how dare you stand where he stood? Like, I don't feel that way at all about this. Um, but I mean, the number is clearly, you know, notable in Cowboys history. And what bothers me as just a Cowboys fan and somebody who obviously covers the Cowboys is this only feeds into the idea that Jalen Smith only cares, or at least from a priority standpoint, cares more about his brand, his image, yes. whatever. I totally understand that the number means something to him. He wore it in high school. He wore it in college. He said he's worn it since he was nine years old, appropriately so. Um, so, like, I'm not trying to knock the meaning of it to him. But I don't know if you saw this, BLG, because you were off, again, conquering Nick Sirianni. Jalen Smith paid 
He paid, according to ESPN's Todd Archer, uh, mid six figures to do this because the rules are if you're a veteran yeah. in the NFL, you have to buy out the existing inventory uh, in order to be able to change. So he paid like at the very least a hundred, like the, the bare minimum he paid here is a hundred thousand dollars to change Jersey numbers when he could have done it for free a year from now per NFL rules. Or if the Cowboys cut him, he will be on another team entirely and could have won that number there. So I, I mean, I hate to like, you know, minimize it to say he's doing it simply for vanity. Cause again, there's a connection there for him, but this just, it, it's a really, really, really questionable move. Like at the absolute best, like if you're Jalen Smith, you have pissed off a whole lot of your fans that already think you're in this for your image. That has been your take for a long time. I remember the brand, the celebration thing he does, the whatever swipe, you call yep. it. Yeah. The swipe. Oh, whatever. he calls it. Um, I don't call it that. He calls it that. No, no, no. I know. I'm not, I wasn't bagging on you. I'm just saying like just ridiculous. Um, it wasn't like Jalen Smith in danger of getting cut this offseason or shouldn't he? Like he was terrible last year, right? Am I am I misremembering that? Uh like how long is he even gonna be on the team like moving forward? No, he he might not make the team next year. I mean, the moment yeah. the new league year begins, I forget the new year league date in 2022, but like his salary becomes guaranteed. That's what happened this year. So like they're not moving on from him this year at this point. Um, but it's I would argue, I mean, they drafted not just Micah Parsons, but Jabril Cox as well. They already declined Leighton Vanderish's fifth year option. Um I mean, and even if he's on the team next year, like he's not starting, like he's not playing a legitimate role. I mean, it's going to be the Micah Parsons, Jabril Cox show. And so I, I just, again, it's, it's certainly possible that he is not doing this for vanity from his own spirit. Like he simply, maybe he really feels this will help him play better, whatever. Like a lot of people have had that take on Twitter, but the perception is really bad. And that's been, uh, for any Eagles fan listening, that has been the heaviest criticism of Jalen Smith from Cowboys fans specifically, is that this dude does not know how to read a room. I mean, even wanting to wear, it's it's not just that he paid all this money to change numbers. It's that he did it to change numbers to wear one of the more beloved numbers to Dallas Cowboys fans everywhere. It, it just reeks of hubris. So I think what you're looking for here is a, a term, uh, an acronym that I've been using on BGN radio on the SB nation NFL show. This is class classic textbook B L E R J big loser energy. That's, mm. that's what Jalen Smith has, I think in spades. And this is just more of that. I think that's kind of what you're getting on. Like you're kind of touching on there, but uh, you can't quite find the, uh, the right acronym or word for it. That's it. That is exactly what, what B L E is, is just like kind of making it all about him. And uh, yeah. And I don't have much faith that Jalen uh, Smith is going to be much better this season than he was last year, which is pretty bad. No, BLE indeed. Um, watch. I mean, I know that this happens a lot uh, for the Philadelphia Eagles, but like when there's a turnover, like when Jalen Hurts throws a pick or Carson Wentz threw a pick or fumbled the ball, uh, if that happens against the Cowboys, just watch. Like next time you're watching a Cowboys game and they record a turnover defensively, which is incredibly rare, but still happens. Um like, you know, whatever dude is doing his own celebration, Jalen is the first person to run and piggyback off of that. Uh, I'm, sure, I'm sure you remember Leighton Vander Esch did his howl, the whole like wolf hunter thing. It, it became like Jalen's thing to go like howl with him. And it's all it's like, <laughs> dude, that's his thing. Like you can't howl with him. Um, and so um, this is a small little like tidbit in it. But now like on the roster, he's the top linebacker. Because he's the the smallest number, you know, or the the thinnest number, the 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 higher number, you know what I mean? Uh, mm-hmm. So, I don't know, man. Uh, very interesting 
uh, to say the least, but I wanted to squeeze that in there. So, okay, all NFC East team. Again, we're going 11 personnel here, uh, quarterback, running back, an entire offensive line, one tight end, again, sorry, BLG, uh, and three wide receivers. So, BLG, again, I'll defect to you first because I want to hear you say it. Who is the quarterback of the all NFC East team? Ryan Fitzpatrick. No, I'm kidding, obviously. <laughs> I just didn't want to give you this out of the fashion of, of saying the real answer. It's obviously Dak Prescott. Now, now, I will say, as I said on the podcast today, that doesn't mean Dak Prescott is like 100% going to be the best quarterback in the NFC East by the end of the season, but unquestionably going into the season. Yeah, there's there's no the only question is who is quarterback too, really. Mm-hmm. I uh, I totally agree with you here. Um, I, I have a question for you, but I'll answer quarterback too. I think it's Ryan Fitzpatrick. Um, and I think the next best possible answer, if I had to bet today, is Daniel Jones. But I would not, if you wanted to tell me, like, I want to say Jalen Hurts is, is QB3 in the NFC East, I could mm-hmm. buy that. Like, I, I could certainly buy it playing out that way. But I think it's definitely Ryan Fitzpatrick. Uh, so a little bit on Dak. You know, this is Cowboys fans tune in right now, especially like, you're going to love me hearing this from me. Uh, I, I just feel like, and I, I touched on this with you, RJ, uh, offline on Slack or well online, but off of the podcast. Anyway, enough preface. Uh, I just think Dak's early season last year gets romanticized a little bit. Not to say he was bad at all. He was great. He was good. But like, I think the way we perceive, and you've touched on this before, but the the way I keep thinking about it is like, that wasn't sustainable. And I think you've said this exact point, like you're not going to have that kind of volume number. And look, it wasn't even winning football. It wasn't like the Cowboys were playing winning football with that brand. Like he was putting up a bunch of numbers because the defense was terrible. And it's almost like, I think of it in like basketball when like, you're going to have a ton of points when you can't defend and you just keep getting the ball back. Like the opponent keeps giving you the ball. So yeah, you're going to, and to his credit, he took advantage of those opportunities. A lot lesser quarterbacks wouldn't be able to do that. Um, so I'm not saying he doesn't deserve any credit, but I just think like let's let's just temper it down a little bit, uh, like pretending like he's just going to pick up automatically where those numbers were last year. And uh, yeah, that's all I'm saying. No, I, I totally agree with you. As you've said, um, I've tr- and I, I've said this to like caution Cowboys fans because you know how it is. Uh, this, I mean, everyone feels this, I think with their own fan base and, and, and in their own fan base, but, um, like for a long time, the national narrative was that Dak was like average, you know, it was the run game, blah, 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 whatever. And so like, I think people have like caped enough for Dak that like, we've almost gone past the middle, you know, now, like, I'm not trying to say that Dak is overrated. Uh, but now it's like, if, if you at all intimate that he's not the next best quarterback in the NFL after Patrick Mahomes, you're like hating on him. Uh, last week, I know you wrote about this too at BGN, um, but I wrote about PFF's quarterback rankings and they had Dak as number seven. And I tw- in my tweet with the article, I said the only quarterbacks that I would take today over Dak Prescott are Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, and Josh Allen. I got killed for Josh Allen. Like all the replies to my tweet were like, yeah. Josh, are you serious? Josh Elblow? It's like Josh Allen had an astounding season last year that is nothing like Dak has ever had and that's not to slight Dak that's just how incredible Josh Allen was last year um and still like so it's just it's kind of reached that point with him and yeah I mean there's I do not believe Dak would have thrown for 6,000 yards and 60 touchdowns last year that just was not going to happen I do believe that the other cast of offensive players that are coming back this season Blake Jarwin in terms of a weapon standpoint and obviously Tyron Smith and Lyle Collins will go a longer way towards the overall improvement of the offense as a whole uh but yeah but so I have a different question for you BLG um if if we if we looked at all of the best quarterbacks within their own division so like the eight best quarterbacks from their mm-hmm. own respective divisions who has the largest gap from one to two which division because we're saying it's Dak Prescott to Ryan Fitzpatrick 
is that a larger gap than say Josh Allen to uh, Tua? Like what, what's the, what's the largest gap from one to two as far as quarterback rankings in specific divisions? Hmm. Off the top of my head, I feel like I might be missing something here. I'm guessing it could be this one. I can't, I can't think of any off the top of my head from number one to number two. Do you have any in mind? Well, that's, that's the one for me. Um, Justin Herbert, I think mitigates the AFC West because yeah. Patrick Mahomes is Patrick Mahomes, but Justin Herbert is amazing. Outside yeah. of that, I mean, you've got Russell Wilson, Matthew Stafford in the NFC West. You've got Tom Brady, Matt Ryan in the NFC South. In the NFC North, I mean, maybe yeah. the NFC North, if Aaron Rodgers is still there, maybe that's the answer. AFC South, I mean, depending on what you think of Ryan Tannehill, but there could be a pretty or, – or Trevor Lawrence, I guess. But that's one that you could maybe argue, I don't know, if you really like Tannehill and just hate everyone else. Right. That's a fair one. Uh, and then AFC uh, East, Josh Allen and, I mean, lots of question marks there. That might be the mm. answer because I, I think that Josh is better than Dak, obviously. And I don't I think Ryan Fitzpatrick's probably better than any of those other options, except for maybe the Dolphins believe too was better, obviously. But um, yeah, that's an interesting exercise. I have one last thing on deck, and it's I uh, stats Rob Guerrera on the SB Nation NFL show, the oddcast today. And I we were talking about the players under most pressure this season. And he had Dak Prescott on his list. And yeah, I mean, like, look, it's time for the playoff success, Dak. Like you have this big contract, one of the biggest contracts in the NFL for a quarterback. Like you talked about Josh Allen earlier. That's one thing that he has more playoff success than sure. Dak Prescott. Now it's not in like leaps and bounds, but still it's it's like Dak is what? Still one playoff win? Like we need need to see more than that. That's all I'm saying. I agree with that. And I mean, especially when you consider the fact that like this is the time I've written before too at BTB about like the 2017 season, for example, Carson Wentz gets hurt, Aaron Rodgers got hurt, Odell Beckham Jr. got hurt. Like the the road was like, you know, resistanceless for the Cowboys. You know what I mean? And they didn't take advantage of it, which was super disappointing. And so yeah, like now you're in this division that is lower quality. You're in a conference that is lower quality, especially if Aaron Rodgers and Julio Jones are both Delta AFC teams. Um, so yeah, there's no more re- I mean Dak has had playoff success, but you're right, it needs to be more. Do you know that with his next playoff win, Dak will match Tony Romo for career playoff victories? Yeah, that doesn't shock me. I'm not surprised. <laughs> um, so, anyway, uh, by the way, BLG, some NFC East news, uh, right as oh, we're boy. recording. This is rare. Um, not the biggest deal. Uh, Adam Schefter tweeting that veteran tight end Ricky Seals Jones, fighting Texas Aggie, RSJ, by the way, signed with the Washington football team. So they now have, wow. Logan, Tom- they have Logan Thomas, Tameric Hemingway, John Bates, Dion Yelder. Tyrone Swoops, uh, former Texas Longhorn, uh, Samus Reyes, and now Ricky Seals Jones. So there's some athleticism there. Uh, maybe he's in contention for tight end when we get to that position, but we are uh, handling running back next. So I guess I'll go first. And mm-hmm. uh, I think a lot of the people here think that I'm Homer and I'm going to take Zeke. No way. Like there's an argument to be made at times that Zeke isn't even the best running back on the Cowboys. It's Saquon Barkley. All the running backs don't matter. I was a little surprised that you didn't take <laughs> Zeke. Um, I thought you might, or I thought you might have an issue with me taking Saquon and it it is Saquon. Look, Zeke is kind of cooked, man. Like really, I mean, like obviously he can still play, but I mean like relative Zeke is nowhere near the player he was earlier on his career. Just watch him like watch like highlights from his rookie season or first year or so. And then watch him now, like last year, just not the same kind of player. And he shouldn't be. He is eighth among players in active touches that's crazy like he might be on the decline already he's only behind the likes of like frank gore adrian peterson lashawn mccoy marshawn lynch Le'Veon bell mark ingram and then todd Gurley. he is 16 54 like that's that's so many touches they've used him so much and and I mean, you said it 
there's there should be more playing time for Tony Pollard because he's more. I think other teams would hate to see that at certain points. They'd be like, oh man, that's the, actually the more dangerous guy on the field. I think Zeke obviously still has a role. I'm not saying you should cut him or anything, but he's not the best running back in the NFC East. I think Saquon RJ has the potential. I'm not saying it's likely. I'm saying he has the potential though to have like a Zeke earlier career or Derrick Henry kind of carry the quarterback season. Mm-hmm. I think if the Giants are going to have success this year, that's what it's going to have to be. Like Saquon's going to have to be like like go like god mode basically and totally take over and like be that workhorse kind of guy. Yeah, Jason Garrett would love that. I agree. Uh, Derek Henry is a good example. I always think of the 2012 Vikings with Christian Ponder and Adrian Peterson. That was his 2000 yard season. Like that's that's the only way that the Giants are like legitimate threats. Uh, and that's like I think we're both. I mean, I know we're both obviously willing to take Saquon, but coming off the injury, like that's that's the level of doubt yeah. that Zeke has. I will say, and I think every Cowboys fan would agree. I have no like data to support this, but. In week one, specifically week one last year against the Rams, Zeke looked just the way he moved like his younger self. And and there was like this hope in that moment that night in L.A., like maybe he's refound his form, whatever. Obviously, the season broke in a number of different ways, but um, I'd love to be proven wrong on the Zeke front. But who's number two? Is is it Zeke? I mean, or, or is like and if it's not Zeke, who is it? Is it Antonio Gibson? Like, what, who's the, is it Miles Sanders? Like, who's number two? I think you still have to give it to Zeke just because of the body of work. I think right. it's very possible that Gibson and or Sanders kind of like take over Zeke this year, but going, it goes back to like, well, this is going into the season and you have to kind of give some respect to past credentials. Mm-hmm. I agree. Okay. So let's move on to the offensive line. I think this might be where we have the most uh, discourse, the most debate. Now, ultimately uh, prediction time. I do think we'll agree on the same five people. I've gone a little bit creative with my offensive mm-hmm. line, bit of a spoiler alert here. Uh, but so we'll start, we'll go left to right, left tackle. Uh, you're at first BLT. It's Tyron Smith. I mean, who else are you really taking here? Right. I saw that Charles Leno, Leno, sorry, uh, graded 26 overall out of tackles by PFF last year. So that's not a bad pickup for them to get a guy just like that on the street. And they had a big need at left tackle. So, but I mean, I'm not putting him over Tyron Smith. Although, as we said before, Tyron Smith, it's been what, since 2015, since he's played like every game in a season. So I'm saying that, but, and it's also just not the same NFC East. You know, we used to have Trent Williams here. We used to have mm-hmm. Jason Peters here. It used to be like a really like big debate about who the best left tackle tackle is. It's not like that anymore. Agreed. Totally. It is Tyron Smith. Uh, only played two games last year. So also coming back from injury. This is also the like all um, IR team in some respects um, already. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, and like the argument, I think, you know, hasn't played a 16 game season, obviously since 2015. And obviously now we have 17 games. So like you're even more doubtful that he'll finish a season. But that the whole point of that is I'll take 12 or 13 games of Tyron and whatever, whatever supplemental swing tackle uh, versus 17 games of whoever else. Like, I, I do think that's the best way to go. Um, I mean, just just an absolute physical freak. Bob Sturm at The Athletic did an incredible deep dive around the draft um, about the process that the Cowboys went through in terms of selecting him in 2011. Like, dude, he has been in the NFL forever, and he's barely yeah. in his 30s. I mean, it's it's amazing. He's just – and, like, a lot of people think Panay Sewell's that, and so that's – you know, maybe, maybe he wants to be there for Detroit, and that's a lot of fun. Okay, cool. That was a really easy um, level of agreement. Mm-hmm. 
So mm-hmm. fine, let's move on. Left guard. Uh, again, I told you I went creative. I have Brandon Scherf, which I think tips my hand um, a little bit further down the line. Um, one of the best guards in the NFL, quietly, doesn't get a whole lot of love, and his own team doesn't seemingly love him the right way, which is whatever, but that is the Washington way. Um, I don't think this is a debate. I think he and Zach Martin are the two best guards in the division, so you could put them wherever you want, but Zach Martin's just better to me, which is why I left him at right guard. I think it's fair to move him over. Uh, Scherf has played around different spots. He played some uh, left guard for a while at Iowa, so he, you know he's done it before. Sure, yeah. And the left guards in this division just aren't worthy oh, of being so it's, bad. It's Eric Flowers. It's Isaac Sumalo. So if we had to take one, like if we had to take one of the people who played at left guard and only them, I think I would go with Sumalo maybe. Um, but like I don't really feel amazing about it. So it's yeah, it's Flowers. It's Sumalo. It's Shane Lemieux from the Giants, and then it's Connor Williams. Like, mm. no. Yeah. Um, I don't think any Cowboys fans taking Connor Williams. I the left guard is a sneakily like I mean, it's it's the lowest priority, I think, offensive line position for most teams. Uh, but it's like sneaky really bad. And like if if we I think is it the worst position from top to bottom in the NFC East? It might off the top of my head, an offense, yeah. I mean, I think so that's embarrassing for these left guards dude you know just you know and and actually so i have a hypothetical question lyle collins played left guard early in his career and some people have like they they get in moments where they're like put lyle back at left guard and put connor williams at tackle because he played tackle at texas if lyle collins moved to left guard is he easily the best left guard in the division i mean the bar is low but like you know is it is it really that easy i don't know I don't know that I maybe, but I don't. I'm, I've never been the, the biggest Collins fan. Um, love Brandon Graham cooking him on the edge over there. Uh, I don't know that. You know, it's funny. I think it actually might be Flowers. Like Flowers kind of had a weird. I think he has, Eric Flowers has a weird reputation because obviously he was a bust in New York. He couldn't play left tackle, but then Washington did move him to left mm-hmm. guard in what was it 2019 so not last year but the year before that right uh but then he, then he signed with the dolphins but like he was i think like low-key solid there like he wasn't like a disaster anymore and he you know people think oh he's still a bust he's a joke the dolphins signed him and everyone laughed but like i think it was a good pickup by washington to get him back like he's he's competent i think at left guard he wasn't a good tackle but he can play left guard well okay congratulations to eric flowers you get mm-hmm. um are almost made the list uh <laughs> spot uh, on the all nfc east offense uh to the middle the center position blg i think this is really obvious where you're gonna go Jason kelsey i mean yeah. who else are you taking here my question the only question since this isn't even a question to me is a question for you do you think jason kelsey is a hall of famer Ooh. um so i think that there's a a group of guys that they have careers that you end up saying like, man, if he just won a Super Bowl, he'd get in. And Jason Kelsey got one. And so I think he, and I also think the the 2017 Eagles are this like very, very iconic story in NFL history. So mm-hmm. like you have to end up with Hall of Famers from teams like that. And I don't know anyone who's a better candidate, both from a talent perspective and like a like emblematic perspective, like what he means to the city and the culture and the organization and the time. And, and like, you can just like, you can see the moment in Ken where he like recreates the, the, what is it? The mummers outfit. Um, like, yep. you, you know, like you can see that, like he, you know, he pulls it out, whatever, and it will be this like awesome moment and everything. Yeah. I think he's a hall of famer. I, I don't, I'm like, a- I don't want to get in the business of like first bow, whatever. He will one day be in the hall of fame that I'm confident. of. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't even getting into that. Uh, that's a great point on the speech thing. Like, like Hall of Fame committee, like or whoever, like you are robbing us of a, an amazing life moment if you do not put him in the Hall of Fame. And I think he has to be. If you look at his credentials among other centers or offensive linemen, like 
they're not quite there. It's not like a, a slam dunk, which is why it's a question. But I mean, he's four Pro Bowls. He has three All Pro. He has a Super Bowl ring, obviously. The Super Bowl speech is just legendary, and it, it, like it's Hall of Fame. It's not just literally about achievement. It's about fame. Like that's 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 absolutely like notoriety. Like he mm-hmm. he's a prolific player. It's not like he's just like nobody player that people don't know. Like. And he's a great story. He's a six-round pick. Like, I, I think he has to be in. He's just – he has to be. I don't even think that's a homer thing. I just think, like, this is an awesome – play. he's one of the best centers to ever play in the NFL. Like, that's just true. And, like, that should be memorialized. Well, and I think Travis Kelsey's on his own path to get into the Hall of Fame, and then that will, like, boost the whole, like, Kelsey yes. thing. Like, that's that's a factor. Um, And so beyond that, like, I've said this about Julian Edelman before, and I don't at all mean to open that can of worms that we've discussed in the Espionation NFL show, but I love the, I, I love at least debating in, in the like lens of who's a Hall of Famer. Uh, could you tell the story of the NFL without this person? That's, that's my argument always for Julian Edelman. You certainly mm-hmm. cannot tell because when you told the story of the NFL, you would have to talk about the 2017 Eagles. You could not tell the story without Jason Kelsey, obviously. Um, so also, kudos. this is a really un- unique no, you player, ahead. too, by the way. Like, just oh, like, yeah. Like, like you think a center is a lot. I don't like he's not a traditional center. Like this guy is like running out on blocks, like all the way downfield and like steamrolling people. Like he's he might be literally one of the most athletic centers to ever play the game. Like that's I mean, that's hyperbolic to say like that's that's who he is. He's amazing. So I think that's another thing that kind of works in his favor. Just an incredibly unique player, not a player we see like a ton of. My last thing before we take a break, um, obviously wrapping up the Jason Kelsey point, I also love, and I know you do too, and I, I'm sure a lot of our listeners do, when there's this like, not when it's over the top, but when it's just like natural um, uh, like discourse again between the Cowboys and the Eagles, right? Like that's what we want to see. Like one of the best pregame moments ever in like recent memory was the 2014 Cowboys-Eagles game on Sunday Night Football in Philadelphia. Do you remember like before the game, because the Eagles had beaten yes. the Cowboys on Thanksgiving like two weeks before, there was all this like, like of all people, Terrence Williams was like in the middle of all the trash talk and everything. That part of it is silly, but I like that. Like I like when there's this, again, not like natural hate, but this sort of normal hate because you play for the Cowboys and Eagles. And I love that Jason Kelsey has always been like, Nope, I don't want anything to do with them. Dallas sucks, like whatever. It feeds into it. So I'll even go as far as saying this, BLG. I think Jason Kelsey is the first person on the all NFC East mixtape team. Okay. I like it. <laughs> so, okay, cool. That's a good note to take a break on. Nobody go anywhere. We'll be back after a very quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. Welcome back. Congratulations to Jason Kelsey, the first member of the all NFC East mixtape team. Nick Sirianni, if you play your rock, paper, scissors cards, right? Maybe BLG will induct you at some point in the future. Uh, BLG, your thoughts on Jason Kelsey's recent achievement? Uh, it's it's a really a high honor. It's probably the big. I mean, now he's a lock for the Hall of Fame. What are we mm-hmm. talking about? Like this, this seals the deal for him. Um, who do you have a right guard? Uh, wow, just cutting straight to business. Well, I yeah, straight to RJ. <laughs> Straight, R, uh, not RJ, RG, sorry. Well, I, I tipped my hand. I said Zach Martin because I had Brandon Scherf mm-hmm. at left guard. I mean, I know, I'm i very positive you have Zach Martin at right guard. He is arguably the best right guard in the NFL, the best guard in the NFL. Um, I And I'll ask you, is he a Hall of Famer? That's maybe the only relevant question here. Is he on a Hall of Fame path? I think he... 
I'll say I think he needs that Super Bowl, kind of like Jason Kelsey got, because he, you know, was an all pro as a rookie. Like he has all these incredibly unique NFL distinctions. I think he should have won rookie of the year in 2014, but Odell Beckham Jr. had the cash and everything and blah, blah, blah. But Zach Martin, like Zach Martin was moved to right tackle last season while injured and like didn't miss a beat. And yes, it's along the same side, but that's such a difficult thing to do. Um, so is he on path to being a Hall of Famer? And if so, is a Super Bowl ring necessary for him to be one? So I think so. I think the playoff success absolutely factors in and could be thing working against him. Um, I think Zach Martin, obviously my choice as well. Although if Brandon Brooks is healthy, I mean, this, is, this is this is pretty close. Yes, it's absolutely close. If Brandon Brooks is healthy, it is. And I think I think it's an interesting contrast here. And and I'm not saying Brandon Brooks because he he hasn't been healthy and I can't put that. But if he if he was last year, then this is a, com- a much more of a conversation and. I think it's interesting to think about how offensive linemen, like their legacies. I think a lot of times you get like a player like Zach Martin, like how he came into the NFL. He played at Notre Dame, you know, big school known for offensive linemen, comes Mm -hmm. into the NFL, plays for the Dallas Cowboys, a prolific team in the NFL. Uh, Like that helps his case. Like, like he's good and he's really good. But then like those factors boost him even more. Whereas if you're Brandon Brooks coming from Miami, not the one in Florida, but in Ohio, and then your third round pick, so you don't have like that big name power that like Martin does. And then you're playing originally for the Texans, you know, who certainly aren't one of the NFL's most prolific teams. And they're going to the Eagles, which again is a bigger market, but not quite the same level. And he did start to catch on in Philly, but like it took him till then for him to get really noticed just how good he is. So it's kind of a shame to me, like someone like Brandon Brooks, I don't think totally gets his due just because like, and even with Kelsey, like Kelsey would have more Pro Bowls if he was a higher pick. If he played the exact same in his entire career, but if he was a higher pick, he would, because offensive line is a lot about name recognition when it comes to these awards. So it's kind of unfortunate for those guys that they don't get that. So Zach Martin probably absolutely will because of all the compliments he has, in addition to the notoriety that he Mm -hmm. has built up. I think that's an interesting point, and I know you're talking about offensive linemen, but to go back to volume five of the NFC's mixtape, even though he plays in an incredibly large market for one of the NFL's blue bloods, um, that has happened to Ryan Kerrigan, right? Like, if Ryan Kerrigan had had his career, I mean, I don't even know, like, even for, like, the Denver Broncos, like, I think he's, you know, he's regarded much more differently than he is because he he had the misfortune of having this incredible career during some of the highest levels of dysfunction that Washington had in spite of the fact that he was part of a team that won what three division titles. That's how many he won in Washington. Like think of, think about how difficult it is to like achieve that level of flatness as a like OG NFL franchise that Ryan Kerrigan is not a household name based on all of his accomplishments for your club. Who is like the best quarterback that Ryan Kerrigan has played with? Is it Kirk? It's definitely and Kirk. who's the or it's 2012 RJ three. Like that's the, the single best quarterback, but yeah, it's Kirk like long-term. And then who's the best head coach? Rivera, right? right? But that was just last year and like towards the end of the year. I think it's Jay Gruden. That's probably the best head coach. Like, it's because there has to be some level of sustainability. (laughs) But that's like, okay, like that's the best head coach you get to work with. And then who's his best defensive coordinator? Probably maybe Jack Del Rio, I guess, last year. But again, that's one year and it's at the end of his career. Like, so yeah. And and who's his best running mate? Chase Young, right? Like, who got there at the end of his time with Washington? Like, just a Mm -hmm. really unfortunate, like, kind of timing. Uh, circumstance for him and you know then he decides to go to the Eagles so like he ruins his career even more like it's just a really sad situation you hate to see so right tackle I think there's only (laughs) one right answer here 
Um, uh, well, I'm up first, so I'll, I'll give you the satisfaction. Because, see, like, okay. you didn't want to give me the satisfaction earlier, but I'm a much kinder person. Um, mm-hmm. It's Lane Johnson. It's And I think yeah. some Cowboys fans will cape for Lyle Collins, and I will not because he showed up out of shape last year to the point that he didn't even play a single game. That person, yeah. whoever it is, cannot be in the conversation for this. It's Lane Johnson. Lane Johnson, I think, kind of gets underrated nationally. Like, he's not just a – like, a lot of people are like, oh, best right tackle or whatever. Like, he's one of the best tackles, period, in the league. Like That, that happens game, when you play on the right side, though. But, yeah, you're, you're right. It, it, but that's what I'm saying. Yeah, like, he's been underrated just from the perception of, like, oh, he's only a right tackle. And that's that uh, kind of goes back to what I'm saying about, like, these guys not being drafted highly. Like, the, it's funny. Like, the Eagles have these offensive linemen, like – and I think it's kind of worked in their favor as a team because they feel like disrespected. And that's what like the Super Bowl run was kind of about. Like we're the underdogs. Like people are counting us out. We don't get the respect that we deserve. And I think it's worked in the team's favor. But I think when we're talking about these kind of lists or national perception, I think Lane Johnson is kind of underrated. He is presumably finally healthy. He's been dealing with an ankle injury, RJ, dating back to October 2018 when the Eagles played the Jaguars in London. So apparently uh, that's finally passed him and he's healthy this offseason. And yeah, Collins, I guess, is number two when you're thinking about it here. But I mean, he missed all of last year. So definitely, like, I think it's insane to put him over Lane Johnson. Um you know, it is that time of year, like, oh, he's healthy. Uh, you know, we talked about Jalen Smith earlier. Jalen had a quote on Tuesday. He's in the best shape of his life, BLG. So that's the you know, best shape of his life. Aren't season. we all? Um, so our team so far to recap, at quarterback, we have Dak Prescott, running back Saquon Barkley, and then we filled out the offensive line from left to right, Tyron Smith, Brandon Scherf, Jason Kelsey, Zach Martin, and Lane Johnson. So far, we have, what is it, um, three members of the Cowboys, uh, we have one member of the New York Giants and we have uh, one member of the Washington football team and two members of the Philadelphia Eagles. An interesting thing to note here, mm-hmm. BLG, is that we both completely agree that Saquon Barkley is the best running back in the division, yet the Giants don't have a single offensive lineman that we really even discussed. Like, not just that, you know, made the list, but there was there were none that, like, were really in the conversation, uh, so to speak, as far as offensive linemen throughout the division. Yeah, other than Shane Lemieux, who we bagged on for being <laughs> not a good left guard. Like, that's it. Like, who is the Giants' best offensive lineman? Are we are we going with Andrew Thomas? Like, maybe. But, uh, I mean, I don't know. And it's definitely – and there's a there's a reason why that's a legitimate concerning into the season. Like, there, it's – it's. I mean, Andrew Thomas could make a leap, I guess. He was really bad for a stretch of last season. Seems like he kind of came on. Otherwise, you're talking about, you know, Shane Lemieux, Nick Gates, Will Hernandez, Matt Pert. Like, I don't know. Well, so you know, we also – We'll see what happens with Nate Solder, who opted out of last season. Um, maybe the best prospect, not that he's a young player, but the best prospective offensive lineman they have. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, it, it, like Will Hernandez, people, that was somebody who people were like so high on his draft year. Yeah. Uh, and never, like, still has yet to kind of really materialize the way people thought he would. Uh, but yeah, I mean, so my point is it's, it's a bit of a rough go. For, uh, for Saquon Barkley. So uh, we have four positions left. Um, all the skill positions besides running back. Uh, tight end is up first, BLG, and I believe it is your turn. I'm going to say Dallas Goddard. Um, mm. I think it's a close call with Logan Thomas, who had a better year last year, just statistically. And I think that is something we'll continue to see. Like, I think Logan Thomas has kind of turned the corner, finally going, you know, from quarterback to tight end. And I think we'll see some more success from him this year. I don't think it was just like a one-off. 
Um, but I don't think he's like anything, you know, like Logan Thomas isn't like keeping people up at night. I think he's a like, good player, but he's not like a, a mismatch nightmare necessarily. Uh, I think Goddard could be. Goddard's younger, and now he is presumably freed with, you know, so Zach Ertz is officially here um, now as we're recording this podcast. But I think as of June 1, when the Eagles can kind of move on from him, or after June 1, and clear $8.5 million in cap space, pretty sure they're going to do that. And Zach Ertz doesn't want to be here still. So he wasn't even like, I'm not considering him part of the team. Like, I know he's on the roster right now, but it just doesn't, like, I don't think he's going to be. So this doesn't feel like a real thing to have him on here. Also, he wasn't good last year and he was hurt. So he doesn't really, like, necessarily deserve to be here other than just legacy. So I think it's Goddard. I think he can really step up. I think something important for Eagles fans to keep in mind, just because Ertz walks out the door and Goddard steps up, it doesn't necessarily mean that's like a one to one. <laughs> like, like, we've seen Goddard be successful in a smaller role but sometimes players when they go into a bigger role like they're i'm just what i'm just trying to say here as i'm like really struggling to get this out is that volume isn't necessarily something that's like guaranteed like some players are better as role players not every player can handle volume to zeke's credit he can produce in big volume not every player could do that could handle that workload so i think that might be able to but he's had some injury issues so like i'm not saying it's a lock but i'll, I'll put him as my number one tight end who is your guy so i ultimately agree um that it's dallas goddard i, I knew this was gonna be really you know harmonious <laughs> show uh yeah but um and so i will say nobody cares about my fantasy team but nobody really cares about my connected franchise that i have on my ps4 with a bunch of friends uh where i where i run the <laughs> dallas cowboys and on my cowboys team dallas goddard is my tight end so uh, shout out to him um I, I mean, again, I'm not making the argument for this player over Dallas Goddard because I agree with everything you said. I think we're all really fascinated to see Dallas Goddard as tight end one with the volume and see if he can produce. Similarly, I'm excited to see Blake Jarwin because he was going to have that volume last year and he was hurt. Um, so, like, there are those, like, levels of intrigue. But you didn't even mention Evan Ingram. And I'm not, again, caping for him, but I, I think we need to at least have the conversation. Um Again, yardage is an empty stat, but he had 654 receiving yards last year um, and dealt, obviously, with one of the worst quarterbacks in the division. Um, people lean so much on his athleticism anytime they talk about him. But I, I, I just I felt like I just had to say his name out loud. Like, I feel I've, I've, I've done that. And so I feel like complete in that sense. But I, I really am not going to argue for him over Goddard. The injuries are a big deal with him, and so are the drops, man. Like, right. he is the, like just crushing drops, too. Like, he had one that really should have sealed the deal against the Eagles when the Giants and uh, the Eagles played the first time in Philly last year. And that, like, that would have been the game if he caught that, that right. ball. And he was he, like, he should have made, like, and that's not just a one off. Like, he's had, again, a bunch of issues with drops. So I, I just can't put him as the tight end. Mm, that's fair. Um, well, good job by the Giants getting another skill player that failed. But either way, okay, so we have three wide receivers left to pick because, again, we're not going to do what the Philadelphia Eagles do and run two tight ends all the time. Um, so I will go first. This isn't like – I don't think – you tell me we're not like X, Y, Z. This is just the top three receivers, nice and simple. You fine with this? Yeah, I mean, I think you can make an argument. Let's let's talk okay. the third. Okay, okay. Yeah. Uh, Amari Cooper, first wide receiver. That's I yeah. don't think there's any debate here. Clearly, the mm -hmm. best wide receiver in the uh, in the NFC East um, was clearly worth a first round pick, which blew up your troll job back in 2018. Uh, I mean, what he's been for the Cowboys is incredible. Sneakily, had a great 
year last year. It, that not, you know, anything that was obviously worth celebrating because the team was so bad, but did not really suffer individually uh, with all of the quarterback turnover. So, I mean, I know that people talk about the road, the home situation. Mm. People people question his, you know, tenacity because he's such a quiet guy, but he just shows up, he gets his work done, he balls out. That's the Amari Cooper way. I can I can I have nothing to add. I mm-hmm. yep, yes, agree. <laughs> okay. Uh well, actually before we move on is the, I'll ask you the same question I asked about Dak. Is the gap between Amari and the next best wide receiver in the NFC East larger than it is? For any other divisions, next best or any other divisions, best wide receiver and next best wide receiver. That one's kind of harder. Yeah, um, yeah I, it's it's hard off the top of the head. I can't. Who's I don't the, have it all. Who's the best wide receiver in the AFC South? Like to pick on that division again. Uh, actually, um, I know the answer. It's similarly to Josh Allen. It's Stephon Diggs. There's like nobody in the AFC East comes anywhere close to Stephon Diggs. Nobody. Yeah, that's probably true off the top of my head. Um, yeah. so your point here is Cooper is this way out and far ahead? No, he's not as though. far as Stefan, but like I think there's an argument to be made, and I guess mm. we're about to have this argument. There's an argument that the next best wide receiver in Amari's division is on his team, um, which is no. you know unique, but <laughs> it's not. um, well, okay, who's your wide receiver? That's not an I, I think I'm gonna agree with you, but I'm curious who your wide receiver is. It's two. Terry McLaurin, he's awesome, yeah, he's That's, great, I agree. like he. He is. I mean, no. Like you can't tell me Gallup or CD Lamb, and I like CD. No, Lamb. You the, know, the, I like the CD argument Lamb. is for Michael Gallup, but it's not CD Lamb okay. yet. But CD Lamb's on the way. But yes, it's Gallup. Go ahead. I like CD. It's nothing against those players. I think Terry McLaurin is awesome. I think Agreed. if you wanted to have an argument that he is better than Amari Cooper going forward, I think that is much more arguable than mm. the, the, than saying that like he might not be wide receiver too. Um. See, like this is fun. So I again, I agree that the top two wide receivers. If if you like, if you were hard pressed, you could go one A, one B. But it's Amari, it's Terry McLaurin. Maybe you like Terry McLaurin's ceiling. You know, he's a younger player, obviously, uh, at this point. And I, but I, where I feel for Terry McLaurin is like the dude does not. And part of being wide receiver is like he does not have a a stable quarterback. He's gonna have he's gonna have one of those games that that Tyreek Hill had last year. It's like. He's got three catches for 183 yards already. Like, you know, that's going to be Terry McLaurin because he is a monster. But, like, he is going to be limited. He has a glass ceiling on who he is because of his team, which is unfortunate to say. It's crazy, though. But he's produced, like, despite despite the lack of the lack of good quarterback play, he's had to deal. Like, it's crazy. Like, last year, 87 receptions for 1,118 yards, four touchdowns. Like, he was still awesome last year. He's still really, really good. And I think he might have even been banged up a little bit. But, like, um, yeah, I think Terry's – like, he scares me. He legitimately – when I – like, when the Eagles play Washington, I am, like, legitimately scared that Terry McLaurin is, like, mm. going to make some big play, go off, do something. Like, I feel like that's a good measure of this. And, yeah, he is easily – he might – honestly, he might be the scariest. It's, it's, it's him and Amari. They're the scariest – like, they're the, the guys, like, I don't want to see. The true scary Terry. Um, nice. And by the way, uh, Terry McLaurin, friend of the SB Nation NFL show, jumped on our radio row coverage at Super Bowl 54 uh, back in Miami uh, when we were out there. Good dude. Good times. Shorter than me. No big deal. Just saying. Uh, and I'm not as tall as you. So that's, you know, an impressive thing. Uh, OK, fine. So I don't have anything to add. Again, this is very chalk show and that's OK. Maybe. Hey, maybe until, the NFC is just better. Than... OK, so unless <laughs> unless you. Okay, the third wide receiver. This is the last person on our team. I think uh-huh. it's Michael Gallup. Um, if you're going to make an argument for Devontae Smith, we have yep. to end right now. Um, yep. There's no way Devontae is even better than C.D. Lamb. 
So, oh like, my God. It, there's no way. <laughs> yeah. Who won the Heisman again last year? Who was the was, first Heisman? Who was the first receiver to win the Heisman since what? Desmond Howard in C. 19. CD Lamb was in, in college last year. That's mm. part of the situation here. Um, wide receiver three is definitely Michael Gallup. No, I think I think you are really, and it's fine. Like I don't, I think it's reasonable for you to think what you're thinking. Like people just aren't ready for Devontae Smith. I really think, and I've said this before the draft. Again, this is not me homering it up on an Eagles thing. I don't think people really fear that I homer it up ever anymore. But but I, I think Devontae is that awesome. I really do. Like everything about this guy, I wanted him so bad. He was the one guy I wanted the Eagles to get. Like I think this guy is legitimately great. Is it a little spicy and extra and hot takey of me putting him in here of course but then is that fun if we just agree on literally every pick the whole show so i have to put him here uh i think kenny galladay has a good argument for being in here speaking of giants players not getting mentioned i think you could reasonably put him as number three um but i'm gonna go with my guy i like Devonte smith a lot why am i not gonna put him here so Devonte smith last year at alabama okay 13 games 117 catches 1856 yards 23 touchdowns monster season no disagreement there by the way Devonte smith also friend of the sp nation nfl show uh he and i <laughs> spoke in the lead up to this year's super bowl which was very interesting to say the least but uh so the number i want to focus on here this isn't everything but 15.9 yards per reception monsters you agree 15.9 yards per reception is amazing you agree with this right it's efficient yes okay last year like down year for Michael Gallup because of the quarterback situation, 14.3 yards per reception in 2018, his rookie season, 15.4 yards per reception in 2019, when he had Dak Prescott, obviously, and was not a rookie 16.8 yards per reception. That's Michael Gallup. And so I'm fine. If you are saying, okay, I'm betting that when we have this conversation a year from today, Devonte Smith is the third wide receiver. That's fine. But I'll ask you to pick somebody who we've seen do it at an NFL level, which is adding a bit of a distinction to this particular question. So in that sense, is it, it has to be Michael Gallup. Neither, neither of us believe in Kenny Galladay. And, and mm. we certainly don't believe in Kenny Galladay with Daniel Jones. I mean, so. I don't know. I don't know. I don't agree with that because Kenny Galladay, I think, is pretty good. I've never really disliked him or doubted his talent. Oh, I'm not, yeah, I'm not saying con- you hate the guy, but yeah, I mean, yeah, it is what it is. The contract is only really the questionable part. Like, is he is he worth the big money uh, that the Giants – and no one is. No one in free agency is usually worth the big money. But Daniel Jones, actually, this is, like, crazy. I remember uh, talking about this or, or seeing this somewhere when the Giants signed him. Like, Daniel Jones, for as much as he struggles, RJ, one of the best things he's actually really good at throwing the ball down the field. I think like PFF, like surprisingly had him graded as like one of the, the top deep ball passers last year. And guess what Kenny Galladay can do? He can make big plays down the field. So I think it's reasonable for Galladay to be in the conversation for this. I'm not shocked. I'm not going to talk you out of clearly taking or putting Gallup here. And I think Gallup's a good player. It's like, again, it's not against him. I just think there's, there's a, there's a case. There's an argument here. There's an argument between Gallup and Galladay. And I think you can take your pick. I agree with that. And I think if if we're having this conversation, so like maybe the last spot is a tie between Michael Gallup and Kenny Galladay, whatever. Sure. But if we're having this conversation a year from now, um, specifically because Michael Gallup will not be in the NFC East because this is a contract year for him and there's no way the Cowboys pay him. He's probably going somewhere mm-hmm. else. Um, so so for like if if we're calling him one of the three best right now, there's an argument to be made that the best three next year are Terry McLaurin, CeeDee Lamb, Devontae Smith. 
especially if the the Cowboys will have one of Amari Cooper, or Michael Gallup on their team in 2022, but maybe mm-hmm. Amari Cooper will have started to regress, whatever the case may be. Um, so you never know. He's still incredibly young, but still. Uh, C.D. Lamb, Devontae Smith, clearly the future of the division at the wide receiver position. So, um, okay, BLG, top to bottom. We have um, Dak Prescott at quarterback, Saquon Barkley at running back. No surprises there. Offensive line was super agreeable, super awesome. Tyron Smith, Brandon Scherf, Jason Kelsey, Zach Martin, Lane Johnson. Uh, at tight end, we have Dallas Goddard. At wide receiver, we have Amari Cooper, Terry McLaurin, and a tie between Michael Gallup and Kenny Galladay. So um, that is, I believe, five Dallas Cowboys. You've got Dak. You've got um, Zach Martin. You've got Tyron Smith. That's three. Uh, Amari Cooper. And if you count Michael Gallup, that is five. Uh, how many Eagles do we have here? We have Jason Kelsey and Lane Johnson and Devontae mm-hmm. Smith as a hopeful project. Uh, as far as Washington football teamers, we have Brandon and Dallas Goddard. Oh, sorry. And Dallas Goddard. Uh, we've got Brandon Scherf uh, from Washington. We also have Terry McLaurin. And then New York Giants present Saquon Barkley and Kenny Galladay if he slides in. So the most like representation from the Giants is yeah. their running back. What are the numbers? What are the uh, numbers here? Can you run down the numbers top to bottom? While you do that, I want to I go like to the most to the least. I want to say just one last thing on Devontae is that I think just talking about – I know we weren't getting into position as much versatility, but I think that is a big thing in his favor, specifically with this list. I think you can ask Devontae to play in the slot. I think you can move him to – I think he can play X even though he's a smaller guy. And then obviously I think he is going to play at Z potentially this year. So it's another point in his favor. But I want to hear the totals for each team from most to least. So – um, I qualified Michael Gallup and Kenny Galladay as halves. It's, it's, yeah. it's split uh-huh. it. Um, so sure. Dallas has four and a half. Um, the Philadelphia Eagles have three. The Washington football team has two. And the New York Giants have one and a half. Again, with their one being the least important position on the offensive side of the ball from a schematic standpoint. Obviously. Um, your and, thoughts? Uh- what a shock that an Eagles person and a Cowboys person came on the podcast together and those two teams ended up with the most people. I'm sure well, it wouldn't so have been different. Where are we most wrong, though? Like, where, or where are we most fallible? I, no, I know. Well, I'm just saying, though, I, I could totally see a world where a Washington fan and a Giants fan do this podcast, and it is a little bit different, at least. Maybe not entirely different, but I think I think it's reasonable. But again, it's our pick, so of course it's going to be. I, the wide receivers, I think, are, are arguable. I think you could make a case for tight end. Again, you could go with right. Logan Thomas instead of Dallas Goddard. I think or, the offensive or line. The, the Giants fan would go Evan Ingram. That's maybe the, the, the most debate of a Giant we excluded. Okay, sure. And um, Nate Solder. Yeah, maybe, a, maybe Nate Solder's the other one. I think he stinks. Um, I but, mean, but, but yeah. saying. <laughs> go ahead. He does. Um <laughs> That's about it, though. It's not quarterback. I mean, Zeke, you know, you could argue, but that's, a, that's just a cowboy instead of Barkley. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't really know uh, where you're seeing, like, oh, we really left off. Like, I don't think this is – there's no egregious omissions here. I agree with that. If um, – I think I, – I, in fact, I know your answer. Uh, but let's let's play this out. If we had to – we didn't plan this, so sorry for springing, on this, springing this on you last second. The head coach, we disagree. It would be some uh-huh. – it would be Mike Rivera. Or Ron McCarthy. Would, would be the Ron coach. Um, uh, who would the coordinators be? Um, interesting question. Um, is, it, is Kellen Moore not the offensive coordinator for this? I, this yeah, team? Right? that seems pretty. I, I, who else is it? Who else would you put there? Um, uh, yeah, I, mean, I don't think. Yeah, and defensively, thinking, it's Jack Del Rio, right? Um, 
I don't know. The Giants' defense true. Kind of true. respectable last year. I think you can make a case for that. Who was their defensive coordinator? I can't even think of it off the top of my head. This is terrible. Host an NFC podcast. Can't tell you the Giants' defensive coordinator is. But I remember you got like a head coach interview or two, Patrick I thought. Graham. Patrick um, Graham. Yeah, Patrick Graham. You kind of bring that Miami influence. I think you you, you could make the case for him. Uh, Jonathan Gannon is going to be interesting to watch, though, RJ, as or JG, as he wants to be. He is like he was he was a hot commodity this offseason. Like a lot of teams were interested in him. I think like the, the Raiders, the Bears or like a lot of different teams that kind of wanted the Eagles were actually considering hiring him like no matter who they almost hired as head coach between Sirianni or Josh McDaniels, like there were connections to both. Like, so they almost like really just wanted him. Like they, they definitely wanted him, the head coach, they were figuring it out. So I think it's going to be interesting to see. He could enter that conversation. Definitely not at this point, um, but he does have that Zimmer uh, background, which I know maybe you like, but uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I think we could say it's probably Jack Del Rio just because of how good Washington's defense was, but you could make an argument maybe for the giants. Um, my last question within this and you're playing the game, not, who is the most deserving? Who do you think is the coordinator within the NFCs that is most likely to be a head coach next season in 2022? Next season. Because I, um, I, I have an answer, but I'll let you go first. I'm going to say it's not Michael Clay, who's the Eagles special teams coordinator, who's literally the youngest coordinator in the NFL. I think he's only 29, which is my age, which is crazy. Um, who's yours first? Give me some time to think here. It's Jason Garrett because I, I think there's a world <laughs> no, like seriously. And I think he would be the head coach of the giants. Like that, that has been, you know, they're like, not getting rid of Joe judge this year. Dude, that, not that has, that has been in, he is a former giant. Like that was, it was so mm. predictable that that's where he would end up. And again, like it's going to be like, I could totally see a situation where the giants are like, I don't know, two and seven and the the word starts to swirl right like oh man joe judge is losing the team and then they fall to two and eight and they fall to two and nine and then bam the giants just fire him and they and jason garrett's promoted to be the interim head coach and then people are like why are you promoting jason garrett patrick graham's the guy don't forget jason garrett got jason garrett interviewed for our favorite opening in the nfl this Mm. offseason the head coach of the los angeles chargers i mean so yeah, it's it's hard to explain, but still, people are going to say, "Why are you promoting Jason Garrett to be the head coach?" Let, or interim, let Patrick Graham do it, and it's not going to happen. And then Jason Garrett's going to get the job because that has been destiny from day one. I don't think so. I don't think it's going to happen. Um, Joe Judge has multiple years left on his contract, and as I've said, Dave Gettleman will be fired before Joe Judge is fired. Um, I am looking at it here, and I guess I think it, like I don't think Jack Del Rio because he's had what a couple chances now, and I don't think mm-hmm. anyone's like. Even if the Washington defense is really good, I don't think anyone's like dying to make him also the face of the franchise. Some of his opinions that he has out there. Um, I'm going to say Kellen Moore probably is the one that makes the most sense. I mean, he's been getting head coach interviews, so that's probably only going to continue, especially if the Cowboys offense is even like, even if it's decent, it doesn't even have to be great. Like even if it's decent, it'll probably continue to get interviews. Mm, okay. Uh, well, we haven't discussed this either, BLG, but next week, the all NFC's defense. Is that what we're doing here? It's predictable. Yeah, we'll do the defense, and then we'll do the special teams the week after that. <laughs> the, the content writes itself. Uh, so, BLG, once again, congratulations on your victory over Nick Sirianni. Um, it's impressive stuff. I mean, so, like, now he can write the foreword to your book one day. You know what I mean? And be like, I knew from that moment that BLG was destined for greatness. I don't disagree at all. <laughs> hey, everyone listening, again, if you enjoyed the podcast, I'm going to encourage the reverse review, I'll call it. If you're a Cowboys fan, come over to the Bleeding Green Nation podcast feed. Leave us a rating review on there. You can tell us that the Eagles suck, but you have to give five stars. That's the rule. And same thing for you Eagles fans. Go over to the Vlogging the Boys podcast feed, Apple Podcasts, whatever, where you leave ratings, reviews, five stars, and then tell them how much the Cowboys sucks. And 
we'll we'll love you. We'll uh, we'll even read a review if you leave one about us. That's right. Um, we did get BLG a lot of tweets. Uh, BLG's on Twitter at Brandon Gowton. I'm on Twitter at RJ Ochoa uh, with people's favorite soup. Uh, that was something we talked yes. about recently. And so, I mean, your potato soup was an idea that a lot of people supported. In fact, after we got done recording, I was talking to my wife about it. And I said, BLG specifically said a good hearty potato soup that sticks to your bones. I remembered that line Baked specifically. Yes. And she was like, that's a great choice. But then this mm. past weekend, she made us chicken tortilla soup. So uh, who's the real winner here? Uh, you. <laughs> yeah, that clearly me. Uh, okay, uh, shout out to number nine, Jalen Smith, and to Nick Sirianni, loser of Rock, Paper, Scissors. Uh, this was the NFC's mixtape. Check it out. Bleeding Green Nation, Blogging the Boys. We love you all. We'll see you on Volume 7.